Well, my name is Jeremy. Uh, glad to be one of the pastors and glad especially uh, that we have people who love to open up the Word. Um, hey, Bo, could you mute number six? It makes a buzzing sound with this funky piece of machinery that Pastor Nick has up here. Thank you. Is it muted already? Okay. All right. Well, I'll just listen to the buzzing sound. It sounds nice. Um, maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with the tech booth and it's just my head. Uh, who knows? You can hear it too. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, here's what we get to do. We get to open up the Word of God. Uh, the, the, the fact, I'm just thankful for the clarity of God's Word that cuts through uh, confusion and cuts to the heart of personal problems. Um, and so I know, you know probably that we live in the midst of a culture that is confused about a lot of different things. And, and towards the top of the list of things that are confusing uh, for the culture that we live in are, I don't think a lot of people in our culture know much about who Jesus really is. And I think a lot of people in our culture and within the church too are struggling to know who we are. So those are right at the top of the list. Who is Jesus and who am I? Maybe you watched the Super Bowl um, last Sunday. Maybe you watched it more for the advertisements in between than for the game that happened in between the advertisements. But you maybe saw, if you were watching that, a, a multi-million dollar ad campaign. They had two advertisements during the, during the Super Bowl, but many other advertisements as well. This campaign called He Gets Us, about Jesus. Uh, I have some concerns about the campaign myself, but I'm more concerned than with the campaign itself. I kind of get what they're trying to do with that. But I'm more concerned, not that, not that our culture doesn't understand that Jesus gets us, but I'm more concerned that our culture in general just doesn't really get Jesus. I think that's our main problem. Not that we fail to understand that Jesus gets us. We just fail to understand who Jesus is and why that matters. Uh, I think many in our culture have a pretty warped understanding of who Jesus is, making in many ways a Jesus into their own image. And so we're going to look a little bit today at who Jesus is because the passage tells us clearly who Jesus is. The other question we're going to ask and answer, I hope, is who am I? I think all of us struggle with this question. Christians struggle with this. People who are not Christians struggle with this. Young people struggle with this question of who am I? Old people struggle with this question of who am I? Males, females, all sorts of people struggle with this question, who am I? A question of identity. Our culture, again, doesn't really help us answer this question well. This question of our identity, who we are. In fact, I think in many ways our culture confuses people even more as we're trying to understand who we really are. So praise God that we have his word that makes it a lot more clear than our culture does who we are and who Jesus is. So today we're continuing walking through the account of Luke and in Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38, we're going to meet a girl, likely a teenager, who becomes a key part of God's eternal plan that Luke has been laying out for the readers. I'm expecting that as we go through this, we are going to come to a greater understanding, if God helps us, that we will better know and believe the truth about who Jesus is, so that we might submit to him and find our identity in simply being his servants. So, if you're able to, go ahead and stand, and we'll read the very word of God, and we need to pray first. 
Uh, Father, as, as you showed us last week in the previous passage, um, you're a God who works and will fulfill your plan, and often you work out your plan through the prayers of your people. And so we know you have a plan not just for all things eternally, but you have a plan for every individual in this place on this morning. Everybody, maybe later on during the week watching this on YouTube, people listening on the local radio station, wherever it might be, you have a plan, and I pray that you would work it out. Um, I pray that, that you would bring about conviction of sin. I pray that you would bring about conversion. I pray that you would bring about sanctification. I pray that you would guide us into worship as we look at your word now. Thank you for how you've worked even just in the last couple weeks in Luke. And so thank you that you've worked through this book in your church throughout generations throughout the world. And we pray that you would work by your spirit for your glory now as your word is read and then preached. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, God's Word says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You can be seated. We commented uh, as elders this morning when we were getting together to pray that oftentimes this is a passage we would read right before Christmas. But probably, you know, we don't know when Jesus was born. We celebrate it in the month of December. And if the angel's coming to tell her she's going to conceive, it would probably be closer to now uh, than it is to Christmas. So this is a fitting time uh, to be reading this. We will get to the, uh, the, the nativity uh, in Luke chapter 2 here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and so we might sing a Christmas song or two uh, here in a little bit, in a, probably March. So looking forward to that too. But you've probably heard uh, this passage read maybe even multiple times, even though it comes kind of leading up to the Christmas story. I've never preached on it before, and I'm looking forward to doing that this morning after studying it and praying through it this week. Seeing it in context is helpful because it's pretty clear, as Luke tries to write this orderly account, uh, the order in which he's doing it last week, we saw an angel, and remember who the angel's name was last week, Gabriel, right? So same angel doing the same thing, telling somebody you're going to have a baby, right? So we have an angel in both cases, we have a a birth announcement to a future parent in both cases, but there's some differences between what we saw last week and what we see in the passage 
this week. A few very notable differences. Some we notice right here in these first two verses. Let's look at these first two verses. It's the sixth month, and he means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay? The angel Gabriel, same angel, sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay? Even the way that Luke writes that, he's writing in such a way, assuming that not everybody's going to know where Nazareth is at. Right? A city of Galilee named Nazareth. He doesn't need to tell them where Jerusalem is. Everybody knows where Jerusalem is. And so here's a contrast. Remember last week when we were looking at the announcement to Zechariah about the baby to be born. Where was he? He was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple, which was surrounded by a multitude of people who were praying. That's where he was. This was kind of big in a big city. And now we're coming to another birth announcement, but this one's happening in some little podunk place up to the north of Jerusalem called Nazareth. Okay? It's the kind of place that just doesn't even get noticed. There's not a lot of historical record of anything that happened in Nazareth except for this, because probably not much happened in Nazareth except for this, right? So a little town. I went uh, on Thursday and visited Steve and Randy Smuck down in Buckeye. Uh, but <laughs> you're laughing like I'm making fun of Buckeye. Like, it doesn't even... Steve, I guess, went to school in Buckeye, I was told, and maybe some of you went to school in Buckeye. There's no school in Buckeye anymore, and the kids that live in Buckeye, they come up to Iowa Falls Alden School. They don't even get their name in the school right? It's just this kind of like forgotten week. It's Iowa Falls Alden School, but Buckeye kids come as well, right? So it's this forgotten kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that Nazareth is. It's this forgotten town somewhere up north in Galilee. And this is where the angel Gabriel is sent from God. So unexpected things all around. This time the angel doesn't go to the soon-to-be father, but the angel comes to the soon-to-be mother, And in the other case, remember last week, it was an old childless couple who had been praying that God would give them a child. This is a young virgin betrothed woman who's not yet thinking about conceiving uh, in, in the next weeks, right? She's not married yet. So she's not, this isn't part of her plan. This isn't something I, I assume she's been praying for. More of a shock to her. It was a shock we saw last week to Zechariah, even though he'd been praying for it too, right? Now, it tells us about this woman here in Luke chapter 1, that she is a virgin, verse 27, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and he is of the house of David, and we're told the virgin's name is Mary. Now, betrothal, you've, you've maybe heard before, is not the same thing as engagement. We, we have this, this period uh, before we're married where we're engaged. We, you know, we give a ring, our custom is, and we set a date and we do wedding planning. A betrothal was a more formalized legal agreement where a bride's family would make an agreement with a groom and his family and a bride price already would have been paid, but the, the usual period of time was about a year for a betrothal. And they would not live together or be, mar- be married in any other way than this formal legal agreement called a betrothal for a period of about a year. Now the general age of a woman who would be betrothed in that time was somewhere, 12 was kind of like the, the lowest age, but most commonly somewhere between like 13 to 19 is when a woman would be betrothed. So we're not told by Luke or anyone else the exact age of Mary, 
but going off the customs of the time, we could probably uh, have a pretty good guess that Mary is likely a teenager, okay? 13 to 19-year-old young woman. How many of you in here, like that's you, 13 to 19-year-old young woman, raise your hand, okay? So there's a few in our church. How many of you women at one time were 13 to 19 years old, okay? There's a few more of you, right? So, so teenage girls, you can survive this. A number of women in our church have. Uh, and, and so Praise God that we have some understanding, maybe, of, okay, so, so this is life stage of this young woman to whom the angel is coming. She's a virgin. Her name is Mary, and she lives in a little town called Nazareth. So that's the setting. We're, we've met Mary now. Let's move on and meet Jesus. Verses 28 to 33, we are going to hear from Gabriel a pronouncement of what will happen and who Jesus will be. Mary is called by the angel in verses 28 and following, the favored one. She's found favor with God. Found favor, she didn't earn favor with God. Uh, Found favor with God. And verse 30 says this. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then this news, verse 31. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, one thing I noticed when I was studying, I've, of course, heard this passage many, many times, uh, but Mary is making an assumption here. We know that because of the question she asks later. How will this be since I'm a virgin is what she's going to ask later. Here, the angel doesn't tell her of the timing of this, right? The angel just says, you will conceive and bear a son which she very well could have thought, well, yeah, the, the normal biological means of conceiving and bearing a son is in the future, in sometime in probably less than a year when she's married, it's good to hear that she's going to conceive and bear a son. But she's taking it to mean that this is something that's going to happen now, before she's even married, right? So she's going to conceive in her womb and bear a son, it says, and we're even told the name, just like the angel told the name to Zechariah, you're going to name your baby John, the angel tells to Mary, you're going to name the boy Jesus. And then, just like the angel said to John, he will be great. In fact, to John, to, to Zechariah, about John, the angel said, he will be great before the Lord. And here, we're just told, he will be great. This is verse 32. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. This is a title that John did not get. So here's a big contrast between what the angel was telling Zechariah and what the angel is telling Mary. Both of them are going to have a boy. Both of the boys are going to be great. One's going to be named John. One's going to be named Jesus. But the one that is going to be born to the virgin named Mary is going to be called Son of the Most High. A hint here already about this baby who, yes, will be fully human, but will also be fully human. God, a hint here of that. He'll be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God, listen to this, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Remember that the angel told Zechariah, John is going to be a prophet. 
the prophet that Israel had waited for for 400 years. No prophet since Malachi, and they're waiting. Remember, they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and God seems to be silent until God promises to send John to be the prophet who prepares the way for the Lord. But now we're told here, Mary is going to give birth to a son who's not just going to be a prophet, he is going to be the very king that Israel has waited for. He will sit on the throne of David. If you think about King David, the king of Israel, that was about a thousand years before this. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read of God's covenant with David, that there will forever be a king seated on your throne, a king seated on your throne, David, who will reign forever and ever. People wondered when his son Solomon was born, and his son Solomon became very rich and very wise and built a temple or a, yeah, a temple and a palace. They were wondering, oh, is Solomon the one who will reign on the throne of his father David forever? Well, no. It would be a thousand years until this one, Jesus, would be born to a virgin. And it's very clear here, he is coming to reign, right? He is coming to be king. He will be great, be called son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In the history of Israel, here called the house of Jacob, it's been a 600, remember 400 year gap of no prophet, it's been about a 600 year gap of no king. They were off into exile, and now anytime they've been living under a king, it's not their own king, it's some other empire's king that they're living under. So, so even in historical context, they've been waiting for a king for a long time. They had a long succession of kings after King David. The kingdom split. All of the kings in Israel, bad. Some of the kings in, Israel, in Judah, okay, right? But they've been waiting for this king who would reign forever and ever. And here, in this podunk town of Nazareth, a virgin is being told by an angel, you're going to conceive, you're going to bear a son, and he is going to be that king who reigns over everything forever and ever. So, that's who Jesus will be. Now, put yourself, if you're one of those 13 to 19-year-old girls, or a woman who's been a 13 to 19-year-old girl, you can probably do this more than the rest of us, but put yourself in Mary's shoes. What questions are going to be running through your mind? How many questions? How am I going to tell my family about this? How am I going to tell Joseph about this? Right? But she asks one question in verse 34 that makes sense. She understands how things work biologically, and so she asks a very basic question. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? She understands how these things work. And like, okay, so biologically, this is impossible. What you're saying biologically is impossible. It's not just unlikely like it was for Zachariah and Elizabeth and so many people throughout the centuries who have dealt with infertility. She's not battling that. She's a virgin. This is biologically impossible. And so she asks a basic question. How can this be? Notice, again, remember that Zechariah asked a question? When he was told, you're going to have a son, he asked a question and he was punished temporarily for it, right? Because he asked a question and he was unable to speak for a period of time. Why, why doesn't Mary, what's the difference between Zechariah's question and Mary's question? Well, if you look at it, look at, look at Mary's question here. 
Remember, Zechariah's question was, how can this be? That's a question of doubt. I don't think you can do it. How can this be? Look at Mary's question. Different word. How will this be? She's not questioning if it's going to happen. I get it will happen, but what I'm wondering is how. I don't, like, I get biology, I took that class, I watched that video, right? But I had that talk with mom and dad. I, like, how's this going to work? How will this be since I am a virgin? It's a good question. How will this happen? And by God's grace, the angel uh, gives her some detail. Probably not every detail, not every detail we want to know. Right? But some detail, here's what it says in verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Huh. I mean, that answers it a little bit. This is going to be supernatural. That's basically like the, the details, the ins and outs of how this works. Like we wonder, like, okay, what about like genetic material, DNA, chromosomes? Like, how is how is all this working? Right? But all she's told, all we're told, is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is going to be done supernaturally, not through the normal biological means. And then the angel gives her a sign of confirmation. Elizabeth, your relative, who was called barren, is now with child in her sixth month, which probably because they don't live in the same spot, Mary doesn't know about, and also because we saw at the end of the passage last week, Elizabeth was hiding herself uh, for five months after she conceived, right? So, so, so this is probably news to Mary, but it's, it's given to her as a confirmation. And then this principle in verse 37. Look at the principle in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Amen to that. And this is another example. Like, we've seen, this is not like, oh, I never noticed that in Scripture. If you've read any Scripture before this, you see all sorts of things that look impossible, yet God does it. Right? But this is, this is, this is like a new level of it seems impossible. A virgin conceiving. Yet this is what God plans to do, and He plans to do it through this young woman in this small town that most people have probably not even heard of. Praise God that we have a God who is not bound by biology, right? We have a God who made biology. He's the creator of all things, and he's not bound by it. He's not bound by anything in his creation. He can do what he desires to do. He designed that his son, who would be king forever, would be born to a virgin. Exactly how? Well, Holy Spirit will come upon you and the shadow of the most uh, the power of the most high will overshadow you. That's all we get. It's enough. But here's what I want to see before we move to application. Verse 38. This awesome news for rebels and sinners that the king, the savior, the messiah is coming. We've been waiting and waiting for this. We need this to happen. And this is good news. This is awesome news for everybody. But again, put yourself in Mary's shoes, sandals. This could destroy her life. How's how's she going to explain this to her family? How's that conversation with Joseph going to go? In fact, the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew writes and lets us know a little bit about how Joseph feels about it. He had it in in his mind to divorce her quietly. 
He was going to just cut it off. Use the word divorce because, again, of the formal legal agreement of betrothal. So if he would cut that off, it wasn't just like, oh, we're breaking up, right? It was like a divorce. How, how's this going to go for Mary? This, this would have left Mary, uh, you know, we, women in that day didn't have the same opportunities that we have. This would have left Mary poor, disgraced, vulnerable, and probably shunned by all the people that used to love her, right? So, so that's what's going to happen. As, as she's just processing all this, I can imagine that a number of those things are going through her mind. Look at Mary's response, though, in verse 38. Look at her response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departs. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, some of you have grown up Roman Catholic, maybe some of you uh, still even count yourself Catholic and you're just here today. I would just tell you this, the, the Roman Catholic Church has added a whole bunch of non-biblical uh, doctrine, beliefs, and practices around Mary uh, that we don't see laid out in Scripture. And the Roman Catholic Church will teach of the Immaculate Conception, uh, the idea that Mary was free from original sin. We don't believe that. We believe Mary's a, a, a sinner just like everybody else, right? Born uh, a sinner, sinner by nature and by choice. They believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary, which I just don't get uh, because Scripture seems to refute that. And the Catholics will also also teach that Mary has a role as an intercessor or mediator. So you can pray to and through Mary. We we rightly reject all of those things. But but I want us to be careful because sometimes I think in our like Protestant rejection of those Roman Catholic doctrines about Mary, we swing so far to the other side that we don't give Mary due credit. Just look at this young, teenage, likely woman who exhibits in, in a moment where she could have seen her all of her dreams dashed, is told this, and listen to her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We should be impressed by the faith of this young woman, by a woman willing to identify herself as a servant of the Lord. So whatever happens to me, I'll take it because I am a servant of the Lord. That's who I am. This is a young woman who knows who she is. Deep faith, deep wisdom. And so we should look to Mary and say, wow, there's a biblical example of somebody living by faith. I'm not going to pray to her, but I'm thankful for her, right? She knew who she was, and she responded accordingly by submitting. When it says, let it be to me according to your word, if this is what God's word says, then so be it. That's, that's That's a willing submission to the Lord and to his word. She's not a teenager committed to following her own dreams and figuring out her own path. She is a teenage girl willing to do whatever God called her to do, even if it messed up her life from an earthly perspective. Praise God for Mary's response of submission for identifying herself, first and foremost, as a servant of the Lord. Three points of application. Number one, I'm going to do a a no, believe, do, kind of a head, heart, hands kind of application with this. Here's something for us to know from this passage. Know this, Jesus is the Holy Son of God who reigns forever. Jesus is the Holy Son of God 
who reigns forever. We're going to see this more as we journey through this book. But we're, we're given an introduction here. There's lots of things that could be said about Jesus. And we live in a culture that understands some things about Jesus, but I think in many ways they're super confused about Jesus. We live in a culture that sees Jesus and is willing to acknowledge in many cases that Jesus was a real historical figure, that he was a good teacher, maybe even a revolutionary teacher, that he was generally a good moral man, underdog author of a new religion, whatever else our culture might see Jesus as. But when the angel announces that Mary is going to conceive, the announcement includes and really centers on the fact that Jesus is God and Jesus is king forever. We saw that as we looked through this. Jesus is set apart as holy. He is the Son of God, and He is Israel's promised Messiah, the one who will sit on David's throne and who will reign forever and ever. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There's no one greater, and at least we just need to know this. right? That's not the message about who Jesus is that you're going to get from the culture around us, but that's the message we get here in this passage of Scripture, so I want us to just know this. Sometimes application isn't, go out and do this. It's just, we need to know this. Jesus is the Holy Son of God who will reign forever. We need to know this. Application point number two, believe this. We need to believe what the angel said to Mary, this principle in verse 37. Remember what the angel said to Mary? For nothing will be impossible with God. We believe this, that God will use supernatural power to fulfill his plans. Again, the, the biological situation, that's impossible. How's that going to work? Yet God intends to fulfill his plan. He's not just coming up with this on the spot. This has been God's plan and he intends to fulfill it. And, and a, a virgin is not going to be a blockade or an obstacle to God's problem. It's going to be the means through which God fulfills his plan. So we believe some things to be true about Jesus. The Evangelical Free Church of America has 10 core doctrinal statements that say, like, this is what we hold to. Uh, and Article 4 is about Jesus, and it begins uh, in this way. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This is what we believe. We believe in the virgin birth. Like we're, we're, not, we're not the kind of people that are like, oh, well, science proves that. Like, yeah, I know what science says, but God can do whatever he wants, right? And so we're people that believe that God uses supernatural power to fulfill his plans. We are people who will live and die on the hill of Jesus is fully God, fully man, and, and born to a virgin named Mary, we believe that we have, I don't want to have a God who can't do whatever he wants, right? Psalm 115 verse, I wrote it down, verse 3, very simple, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. That's good news. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. I can't do that. I wish I could. I feel like sometimes I wish I could. Like I wish I could do whatever I wanted to do. Like I want to fix stuff that breaks, but I can't. I want to rescue people who are struggling, and I can't. I want to protect every vulnerable child, and I can't. I want to save the lost, and I can't. There's all sorts of things that Jeremy is limited, that you are limited in doing. 
But praise God that we have a God who can do all that he pleases. Right? So do you believe this? That God will use supernatural power to fulfill his plans. And if you believe it, then probably an action point out of that would be we pray that way. Right? We pray. Like, oh, well, here's what, here's what the doctor says. Here's what science says. Here's what, like, oh, yeah, okay. And I'm going to pray like this. Because I believe in a God who uses supernatural power to fulfill his plans. And then finally, do this. Do this. I think we learn in this passage from Mary that we are to submit ourselves to the Lord and identify as his servants. Let me, let me just actually address teenagers directly um, because that's probably the age that Mary is at when she's hearing this. And I think maybe this struggle of like, who am I? These identity questions are especially important for teenagers uh, to hear. Uh, and, and those of you that are not teenagers, I think you're going to find that most of this applies to you as well. So please don't tune out. Listen in. Some of us have been teenagers and remember, and some of you are teenagers, and you know that this task of moving from being a kid to being an adult, that's a hard thing to figure out. There are all sorts of challenges as like, you know, like the world is changing around you, body, mind, all sorts of things are just changing to figure out, okay, I used to be a kid. These are the people I'm related to. This is what like, and now I'm, I'm supposed to be an adult and, and this is awkward. This is hard. This is filled with challenges. That's just reality of being a teenager. It's always been a hard thing to transition from childhood to adulthood. And study after study has revealed that, especially recently, some other factors in the world around us has made this even harder lately. This just came out this week. So Wall Street Journal on Monday says this, nearly three out of five high school girls in the United States who were surveyed reported feelings of persistent sadness or hopelessness in 2021. Listen, a roughly 60% increase over the past decade. And we've seen other stats like it, other studies like it. It doesn't seem to be like, oh, that's an anomaly. That's just, just a bad, like it, it's real. And so there's a real struggle among young people. And a lot of it comes in just trying to figure out who they are and how they fit in. Listen, teenagers, young people, your sinful flesh will tell you that you will be happy if you just do what you want to do. We're born with this sinful nature that basically will tell us the lie that I will be happy if I just do what I want to do. Like, that doesn't start when you're a teenager. Parents know this. Like, maybe, maybe Nick and Jen, you haven't seen this quite yet, but it's not going to be long, and little Henry is going to make it very clear, I will be happy if I do what I want to do and not what you want me to do. Right? We start that at a very young age. And, and, and as you have more independence and you're a teenager and your parents give you more independence, like, there's going to be more inside you that believes that lie, wants to believe that lie. I am going to be happy. And, and adults, you can attest to the fact this doesn't go away. We a lot of times think, I'm going to be happy if I get to do what I want to do. If I define the rules and, and everything else, then I will be happy. And our world feeds the flesh. We live in a world that feeds the flesh, and our world does many things that are the opposite of helpful. So if you're trying to figure out who you are, don't look to the world to give you some answers and some help in this way. 
In fact, right now, probably one of the things that I think is really confusing for teenagers is like, in addition to all the other things they're trying to figure out, now our world tells them, also you need to figure out what gender you are, right? Like we used to just assume because of our biology that I am one gender or another. Now we have a culture that says like, no, in addition to all of the other things that you're struggling with, now it's up to you to determine your gender, And so that's confusing. That makes life a whole lot harder, not easier, right? The the task of figuring out your identity becomes harder with these cultural pressures. And then I think the other thing, there's a lot of data that shows this rise in depression and anxiety and the struggles of teenagers has kind of coincided with with just the the rise in technology, a device that you hold in your hand and look at, and, and a lot of your relationships with other people running through that phone, right? This also does not make figuring out who you are easier. It makes it in many ways a lot harder. I, I don't think, like, man, I just, I didn't understand who I was, and then I spent a bunch of time on Snapchat, and now I get it, right? That, that's not how it goes. Most of what you see on your phone, listen, and you know this because you feel this, most of what you see on your phone, you don't get done and like, man, I feel better. You feel like you're not beautiful enough. You feel like you're not talented enough, like you're not fun enough. You feel like you're missing out on everything. You're not connected enough. You're not, like, it just tells you you're not enough. That's what your phone will tell you. And so our world is not altogether very helpful. It used to be that even during this hard task of figuring out who you are as a teenager, teenagers used to get a break from that because they'd get done with school and their sports or whatever else, and they'd go home, and it would be break time. Like, I'm not trying to define who I am based on what my peers are saying. Now, because they're glued to their phone all the time, they don't get a break. And it's this crushing pressure that so many are feeling. So, uh, what do you do uh, if you're a teenager? I would just say, like, hey, you you need to be spending time in the Word, that you find your identity in what the Word has to say, and you, you might need to delete some things on your phone. I know it feels like, oh, I'd cut myself off from social life. Like you wouldn't. And so I'm grateful she's feeling a little sick this morning and not here. But our daughter, Annika, grateful because, well, I thought I'd cry if she was here. I'm doing it without her here. But um, she, she didn't even really ask for a phone. We just thought maybe she should have one when she started driving. Got one. Uh, and she's got a smartphone, and she probably uses it a quarter of the time that Kirsten and I use our phones, and she's decided to have no social media apps. So she's 16, and it's possible. She has a life, she has friends, and she understands who she is, and she's not being bombarded with all the junk that just makes life so confusing. And she knows she's a sinner. She's got problems, right? She's, she, she's a sinner saved by God's grace. But I'm so grateful for work that God is doing in her, and I'm so grateful that she has willingly said, that's what everybody's doing, but that's not going to help me. Teenage girls specifically, and really all of us, can learn something from Mary's simple response here in Luke 1.38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So all of us need to hear this. We will find happiness not in trying to keep up with everyone else and allowing the world to help us figure out who we are. 
We will find joy and contentment when we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, let it be to me according to your word. I am, I'm defining myself. My primary identity is not determined by, by this or by these, but my, my identity is determined by what God's word says. And I love that Mary says, as a young woman whose life is about to be turned upside down, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. May that be how we identify ourselves, submitting ourselves to him who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, it's good news for us that you can do whatever you want to do. It's good news for us that nothing is impossible with you. For those raising kids in this world, who look at the task and say, I I don't know if I have what it takes for kids trying to navigate through this world and feeling over and over again that they don't have what it takes, that, that, that life just doesn't seem good. God, I pray that you would remind us of the good news that you sent your son to be born of a virgin, to live a perfectly sinless life, to die as our substitute, to be raised with victory over sin and death, and to reign forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray that we would know this, that we would believe this, and that you would enable us by your Spirit to respond like Mary. Perhaps not understanding every detail of this wondrous mystery, but trusting you enough to submit to you and identify as your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.